Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. In this episode, I'm going to continue a discussion on maker culture and maker practices. You might be asking, well, why am I talking about maker practices for CS educators? One of the reasons is because there are many potential connections to CS education in terms of the kinds of software and hardware practices that can occur in maker culture that could certainly be relevant to CS educators. So when you listen to me talk about the practices discussed in this particular article, try and think through how you may or may not be able to apply some of those practices within your CS classroom. So this article is by Lisa Brahms and Kevin Crowley. And again, apologies if I ever mispronounce any names. And their publication is a chapter in a book. The title of their chapter is Making Sense of Making, Defining Learning Practices in Make Magazine. And as always, the show notes that are found in the description below or at jaredoleary.com include links to the author Google Scholar profiles and then direct links to the publication itself in case you want to buy the particular chapter or this entire book. All right, so let's begin by reading the abstract. Quote, this chapter turns to the pages of Make Magazine for data on which to base first approximation of some core principles of the maker community. It draws upon the communities of practice framework which asserts an understanding of learning as fundamentally tied to the social and cultural context in which it occurs and focuses on the practices that define communities. Born from individual basement tinkerers and garage mechanic hobbyists, the maker movement has evolved to support a strong community among makers. The growth of the International Maker Fair's annual showcases of makers, inventions, and investigations have become celebrated meccas of maker culture attracting hundreds of thousands of makers of all ages and interests. The field of education has embraced the maker movement as a potential context for innovative and more inclusive STEM education experiences. Educational platforms in high school tech labs, community maker spaces, and after-school youth programs have been created to strengthen and associate the many individuals. End quote. So if I were to kind of summarize this particular chapter into a single sentence, I would say that it is a content analysis that uses communities of practice as a framework for exploring maker practices evident within Make Magazine. So the authors begin by explaining that maker culture and practices have become more mainstream in recent years. For example, the White House a few years ago hosted a maker fair and kind of showcased some of the things that uh, people can create in maker spaces or just in general. After kind of doing that little intro, they kind of talk about what communities of practice are as a framework. And so here's a quote from page 14. Communities of practice, quote, asserts an understanding of learning as fundamentally tied to the social and cultural context in which it occurs and focuses on the practices that define communities, end quote. So they use this particular framework, the idea of communities of practice, to analyze 162 articles within Make Magazine over the course of a single year. Now, as a little side note, I do happen to have a chapter that I wrote for a handbook on affinity spaces, and I kind of talk about how affinity spaces are similar or different than communities of practice and how you can apply the framework of an affinity space into a classroom context. So if you're interested in learning more about communities of practice and a very similar framework called affinity spaces, in the show notes, I'll have a link to that publication. Now, at the time of this recording, the publication is not released. It is in press, so it might be out by the time this recording releases. Otherwise, it'll be available shortly after. So the purpose of the study was, quote, to define making in terms of the distinct making practices that are at the center of the community. To find these practices, we analyzed the most popular and nationally recognized textual source of maker community participation, Make Magazine, end quote. And that quote is from page 14. So the study was guided by the following questions. This is a quote from page 15. Quote, 
what are the learning practices of the making community as represented in Make Magazine, and who are the makers who contribute to Make Magazine and, for what analytic purposes, represent central participation in making community practice, end quote. Okay, so here are some of the results from the study itself. So over the course of this particular study, Brahms and Crowley identified that 89% of the authors for Make Magazine were men. Now the authors problematize this a bit, and I'll actually talk about this a bit more in two weeks in another article that I'll be reading that problematizes maker culture in general. But here's a quote from page 26. Quote, if making is represented as being, for example, mostly male, mostly white, and mostly about hobbyist technology, how does it differ in substantive ways from other recent educational phenomena that were similarly thought to be new supports and motivations to participants in STEM, such as educational gaming or robotics, and the continue to foster a complex relationship to gender and access with regard to design and use? Will making experiences really become more accessible and motivating to young people and communities who do not see others like themselves and their creative interests reflected in the public face of the movement? End quote. So these questions have some excellent points in terms of things to consider and think through. So if we're going to engage in some of the practices that I'm about to discuss, we might want to question who are, is engaging in these practices in an informal settings and why. And in this particular case, there's a strong imbalance in terms of gender identities that are represented in who writes for this particular magazine. Now, the authors don't indicate why that might be. However, that is definitely something that should be explored more in, before implementing these kind of practices in an educational setting. Now, that being said, there are a lot of interesting connections here that still can tie into computer science education, which also kind of has an imbalance between gender representation and identities it tends to heavily lean towards male and right now there's not enough women in cs and there's not a lot of discussion on non-binary individuals in cs as well okay so the analysis itself revealed seven core learning practices evident within the articles so these practices are one explore and question two tinker test and iterate three seek out resources four hack and repurpose five combine and complexify six customize and seven share. All right, so here's a definition of the explore and question. This is from page 16. Quote, interrogation of the material properties of the context in order to find inspiration or to determine intention for a process or project, end quote. So with this particular practice, the author suggests that makers really enjoy and value inquiry and exploration through making and through the culture at large. Now, this is definitely something that can apply in a CS classroom as well. If you are going to use any kind of like inquiry or even project-based exploration that has more of an open-ended framework for the project, there's not this like closed project where like everybody's going to create the exact same outcome. For example, you might be able to say, how can we solve this particular problem with different solutions or what kind of problems are in our community that we can address through our class and through computer science in general? So those are some different ways that you can kind of explore and question in computer science education. Kind of building off of the explore and question, the next one, tinker, test, and iterate. Here's a quote from page 16, a definition. Quote, purposeful play, experimentation, evaluation, and refinement of the context, end quote. So this strongly aligns with CS education, especially with software development. You're just constantly iterating on your ideas and you have to constantly test to find if there's bugs. And then from the tinkering side of things, it's just kind of like messing around, like trying to figure out, oh, well, what happens if I do this and experimenting some more. However, where it differs a little bit, here's a quote from page 20. Quote, makers are doers rather than planners, yet the doing is iterative and sequential. Makers model designs with software, 
They build and test prototypes, and they evaluate the processes to discover what is possible or to improve upon what has come before, end quote. So the authors then continue to go on and kind of describe that the iterative process is strongly valued within maker culture. However, this kind of iterative process is typically different than what goes on in CS education. In that, in CS education, you usually have some kind of a plan in advance in terms of what you want to do or what you want to create. Now, whether or not the kids you work with are moving with more of an experimentation, like maybe through modding, like I talked about previously in previous episodes, and just kind of tinkering around and seeing what they can do. Or maybe they're going with more of like, they're going to storyboard out what their app or their program or their project is going to do. And they're going to follow that and kind of iterate on it as they're working on it. That's kind of up to you in the classes that you work with. Okay, so the next practice, seek out resources. Here's a definition from page 16, quote, identifying and pursuing the distributed expertise of others includes recognition of one's own not knowing and desire to learn, end quote. So this relates to a lot of what some of the guests on the show have talked about in terms of finding communities and finding other experts that can assist you with your own understanding. So the idea that knowledge is kind of distributed across the community is one that resonates really well with a lot of informal learning communities or communities of practice or affinity spaces, however you want to define these kind of cultures or groups of people. This is something that can occur in the classroom itself. I have mentioned and guests have mentioned that they strongly recommend having peers help each other in a classroom or creating like an I need help list or engaging in peer-to-peer feedback and learning or just even asking a friend for help if they get stuck, things like that. So this can definitely relate to what goes on in a CS education classroom. However, it doesn't have to be with somebody who's in a room or somebody that you talk to synchronously. This could also occur asynchronously if you have a lot of resources available online or in some kind of a discussion-based format. So for example, perhaps you could create a feedback system where one class is able to look at projects from another class that meets at a separate time of day and kind of provide comments or feedback. So as an example to that, when somebody shares a project on Scratch, there's an option to allow community members to share comments. So perhaps a, a fourth grade class might go and look at projects developed by seventh grade class and provide some feedback to them. Now this practice also relates to the previous Unpacking Scholarship episodes on mod culture. Uh, Here's a quote from page 21. Quote, it is also frequently played out through the recruitment of friends and colleagues with diverse skill sets and knowledge, as well as through the active use of local community developed resources for discussion, design, and fabrication, end quote. So for example, tying it back to the previous scholarship, Think about the teams that were developed for mods when I discussed some mod culture practices. All right, so the next practice, hack and repurpose. Here's a definition from page 16, quote, harnessing and salvaging component parts of the made world to modify, enhance, or create product or process, end quote. Here's a quote from page 22, quote, hacking and repurposing is a practice of problem solving and improving functionality, but it is also an act of improvisation and creativity and an opportunity to put the stamp of individuality on a project or process, end quote. So as I've discussed and some of the guests have discussed in prior episodes, you're going to be borrowing bits of physical hardware or maybe software, chunks of code or functions, and applying them in some kind of a new context. So this is something that is, is valued among maker culture, the idea that you are going to repurpose something or tying it back to mod culture, you're going to mod or remix something to make it do something new. So you might take a little bit of pieces from this project and some functions from this project and maybe some sprites from this other project, and you can combine them into something else. 
which relates to the next practice, combine and complexify. So here's a definition from page 16, quote, developing skilled fluency with diverse tools and materials in order to reconfigure existing pieces and processes and make new meaning, end quote. And here's a little elaboration from pages 22 and 23, quote, the practice of developing skilled fluency with a diverse set of physical and digital tools, materials, and processes of construction in order to put these existing pieces and processes together differently is central to making and enables makers to extend what is possible. Inherent in this practice is an impulse to learn and an acknowledgement that there is always more to learn, that what is not yet known is a deep personal interest, is learnable, usable, and useful to oneself and to the community of makers. The practice of combining and complexifying is a practice of lifelong learning, end quote. Now, this really relates to my approach to CS education. When some districts have asked for my advice on what kind of platforms they might use, what I recommend is that they find platforms that allow them to combine and complexify, essentially, to use the author discourse, various computer science practices, concepts, understandings, etc. So, for example, there's a tendency among the more puzzle-based or problem-based platforms that have one right or wrong answer to solving things and don't really enable opportunities for creative expression to not really allow for kids to combine and complexify what they're doing. What I recommend for districts is that they instead find platforms like Scratch Junior or Scratch that allow you to take these various concepts and practices and kind of combine them in interesting ways that allow for kids to dive deeper. So rather than learning the same base level concepts and practices and understandings in computer science in a variety of platforms, what I recommend instead is to dive deep into one that allows you to combine all these ideas into really complex projects that are individually meaningful for kids. So speaking of, this kind of builds off of the discussions on modding. The next practice, customize, here's a quote from page 16, quote, Tailoring the features and functions of a technology to better suit personal interests and express identity, end quote. And here's a quote from page 24, quote, Through the practice of customization, makers tailor the features and functions of a technology to make it their own, end quote. I cannot recommend this enough. If, if you can in some way make it so that your CS class allows kids to kind of customize things to make it interesting to them, not only does this make this like personally meaningful, but it can also tie into the idea of culturally relevant pedagogy. So I highly recommend thinking of the ways that the projects that the kids create in your CS classroom or your classroom that integrates CS, that the projects themselves are extremely customizable. Okay, so the last practice, share. Here's the definition from page 16. Quote, making information, methods, and modes of participation accessible and usable by members of the community, end quote. So here's a quote from page 25 on the findings. Quote, makers openly share and access the stuff of making with the entire community of makers through diverse platforms for presentation, reception, and communication. Often characterized as open source, the maker community works to develop repositories of information, kits, and systems of communication, which make tools, materials, methods of design and fabrication, and products accessible, customizable, and usable by the entire community. End quote. So the thing I love about this is it's not just sharing the created product itself, but also sharing how to create that product. So in other words, encouraging development of understanding through engaging in the process itself, rather than just looking at an end product that somebody created. So I've mentioned in previous episodes that one thing that you might be able to do is have kids create their own resources that are then used by the current class or even future classes down the road. 
So this is another example of how you might be able to do that. Now, one thing that you might want to take into consideration when creating these kind of resources is figuring out, okay, will these resources be available only to the classes I work with, to maybe the school that I work with, maybe the district, or outside of the actual community itself. So for example, will you make it so that anyone in the world can find access to these resources? So my own personal preference is to make it so that the resources are free to use for the larger community, because you never know who might be able to find access to them. So for example, all these stuff on my website, jaredoleary.com, 100% free, get hits from all over the world from people who are interested in either computer science education resources or music education stuff as well as the free curriculum that I create for bootuppd.org. We get hits from all over the world, every continent except for Antarctica. So if you know anyone who teaches in Antarctica, please have them use our resources so I can say every continent. Anyways, all kidding aside, I highly recommend creating not only products, but also resources that help with the processes to create those products. Now, an in interesting note or finding from this particular article is that these practices did not occur in isolation. So over 75% of the article include two or more practices and more than a third contain four or more practices. So rather than having to make a lesson that's like, I'm going to focus this lesson on customizing or I'm gonna focus this particular lesson or project on combine and complex complexify, you don't need to do that. You can find projects that include several different examples and kind of engage in them simultaneously. So one of the ways that I've kind of described this in the past in our PD facilitation stuff for Boot Up is thinking of the like computer science concepts and practices as a, a gem or a die that you can see through. Each one of the faces on that gem or die is a concept or practice, and depending on what angle that you look at it, you will foreground some concepts or practices that you're looking at, but you can see through them to still see and engage in the practices that are on the opposite side of the gym or die that you are looking through. So I'll include a video that kind of briefly talks about that in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. Now, the authors mentioned that the majority of the articles were multidisciplinary. Here's a quote from page 18, quote, yet rarely does each discipline occur independently of others, end quote. So this is an excellent example of ways that you can engage in integrated or interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary learning within a school context. And yes, the authors do say multidisciplinary. As I mentioned in previous episodes, maker culture scholarship tends to refer to these kind of combined practices from multiple domains as multidisciplinary. However, in curriculum scholarship, they might describe it as integrated, interdisciplinary, or transdisciplinary. I'll include a link to my dissertation, which kind of unpacks that a little bit more, especially in chapter six. So here's a kind of like summary quote from page 25. Quote, our analysis suggests that the practices that characterize participation in making cannot be simply described as practices that come from or point to any one educational disciplinary pathway, such as engineering, science, or math. It can be argued that aspects of maker practices are drawn from or resemble certain disciplinary practices, but no one discipline or singular set of established disciplinary practices captures the essence of participation in the making community. Makers have developed a set of sophisticated community practices and modes of participation that, as a whole, are organic and possibly unique to making." End quote. And finally, a quote from page 27, quote, Making is a multidisciplinary, interest-driven, distributed, and evolving form of informal learning, end quote. So much of these quotes towards the end and the idea of the practices not being siloed or isolated 
or disconnected from each other relates to so many of the discussions in this podcast in previous episodes. So that's kind of a summary of the study itself, some of the main findings from this particular content analysis. So here are some of my lingering questions or thoughts. So one of them is, how might the seven core learning practices look in a CS classroom? So I kind of unpacked each of them a little bit uh, throughout this discussion. However, I'm sure you can come up with many more ways that you could potentially include each of these seven practices in your classroom, whether it be an integrated classroom or a standalone classroom. Another question that I have is, if someone were to analyze CS curricula or discourse in the field, what themes might emerge? So in other words, if you were to kind of take this approach to doing a content analysis of Make Magazine publications, and instead apply that to the field of CS at large, what kind of practices might come out of that? What, what is it that we as CS educators or people within the field of CS education discuss? Another follow-up question would be, how might those themes differ from what is emphasized within a particular set of CS standards? So is there a disconnect between the way that we discuss things in the world of CS or CS education with, with the kind of standards that we've set? Or is there an imbalance in it in terms of, well, these standards are presented as kind of like all being equal, but really we talk about algorithms and programming 90% of the time and only 10% of the time we talk about everything else. And another question I have, in what ways might the themes in CS in leisure discourse differ from CS for career readiness? So I've mentioned several times that I really value the idea of engaging in a subject area for leisure, for fun. Yes, you can do this for career, and that's great, but you can also just engage in this for the fun of it, like modding a video game or making your own apps or whatever you want. So what I'm curious about is if the discourse that is in these more informal and leisurely applications is similar or different from the career readiness discourse. And if so, what practices are kind of emphasized in one and not in the other? So those are just some of my lingering thoughts or questions. I'm sure you have your own after listening to this podcast, and I hope you read the publication itself and kind of think of your own ways that this might connect with CS education. I hope you enjoyed this kind of summary of some of the practices that are found in maker culture, and I hope you're thinking of some different ways that you might be able to engage with them in your classroom. Next week will be another interview, and then following that, we're going to have another Unpacking Scholarship episode that kind of provides a very critical view of maker culture and problematizes some of the discourse across maker culture and makerspace education. If you found this podcast or any of the resources on my website valuable, please consider sharing with somebody else. They're all free. I just want to help out the field of education. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next week when we have yet another interview.